0: Welcome to Stand to Reason. My name is Robbie Lashua, and I'm the host on the show for this week. Uh, Greg is gone, but he'll be back next week, so you can check out what he's been up to uh, when he's on the show then. Uh, I'm the newest apologist with Stand to Reason, and very grateful uh, to be here uh, today. If, if you didn't catch the first hour of, of our talk with Dr. Titus Kennedy, you definitely should. Um, it, it was just phenomenal. Uh, I love uh, what he's doing, and the book he wrote, and uh, all, all the things that we got to talk about that, that prove... Uh, there's corroboration of the events of the New Testament surrounding the life of Jesus. Hey, I do want to make a few announcements here before we get started. Um, if you'd like to call into the show, uh, I'll be answering your questions. And the number for that is 855- Again, that's 855-243-9975. You could call in and get in the queue with your question. Uh, But I want to announce a couple of things that are going on around Standard Reason, some housekeeping things we got going on here. Uh, The first is that we have just announced uh, the theme and the speakers for our next season of our Reality Student Apologetics Conferences. Uh, This year's uh, theme is going to be Seek and You Will Find. And it's wrapped around the... This, this phenomenon we see going on of deconstruction, right? People deconstructing uh, from their Christian faith. Uh, we're going to have Jay Warner Wallace, Jason Jimenez, and Mary Jo Sharp joining us. Uh, all the STR speakers will be there, uh, plus many other people. It's going to be a great, great season of Reality Apologetics conferences. Uh, you can catch us in Orange County, uh, Seattle, Dallas, Minneapolis, Philadelphia, and Augusta, Georgia. So if you're in, in any of those vicinity Uh, We would love for you to come and to join us now to check out dates and the full schedule and on all of that info, you can go to realityapologetics.com and you can just see the lineups we've got and everything that's coming your way for this season of the reality student apologetics conferences. Also, another way we like to equip people here at Stand to Reason is through our STRU, our STR University courses. We've got two new courses out, one on the resurrection by Tim Barnett and another one on biblical hermeneutics by Alan Schliemann. Now to to sign up for these courses to register what you're going to have to do is go to training.str.org and uh once you register uh, everything is is completely free you can take as many courses as you want on there um uh, but these are really great uh resources for you to use in Sunday schools or in youth groups or just for, for for your personal benefit so I'd encourage you to go sign up for those and uh begin learning from from Tim and and especially on those two uh two new courses that we've got we also have uh, courses coming out uh, every quarter so just stay up to date on the new stuff that's coming out and we'll alert you to that on uh, social media as well now, if you want uh, an STR speaker, if you would want John or Tim or Alan or Greg or myself uh, to come and speak at your church, uh, we do that. We would love to have you schedule us to come out and speak on a whole bunch of different apologetics issues and topics. Uh, what you do for that is you, you email Darcy at booking at str org, and she could set you up with our schedules, with our speaking topics, um, with our availability, and then. And you could schedule for us to come out to your church or, or your group or your university and, uh, and do some speaking on apologetics. Would love, to, would love to do that with you. In fact, if you want to, uh, you can look and see our full calendar of where all of us are speaking uh, in the upcoming months. You can go to str.org slash events and possibly one of us is speaking in your area and you could just come in and, and enjoy those talks. Tomorrow, uh, John Noyce is going to be live on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. At 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And what he's going to be discussing are the main arguments that are being made in favor of abortion and how we as Christians can respond to those arguments in a gracious and effective manner. Uh, We would love for you to join us online and and interact with John and ask him questions and see uh, this this talk that he's doing on how we can be prepared to talk with people, especially in our our climate right now. So many different Different people are talking about abortion and the Supreme Court ruling and what may be coming. And we need to be ready to adequately meet people where they're at and speak truth into their lives. So John is going to help you out and, and equip you with that. You can also uh, tweet questions to hashtag STR ask, which is our shorter podcast that is hosted by uh, Amy Hall and Greg Kokel, and they answer your questions every Monday and Thursday. You can listen to that on iTunes, but we also have it on the STR app. If you haven't got that, you can go to the app store and add that to your smartphone, or you can go to our website, str.org, and you can also listen there. Now, one last thing, one exciting thing that I think you will want to uh, take a part in is coming up June 9th through 11th. So, just in a few weeks, in Boca Raton, Florida, the Women in Apologetics Conference is happening. And what is exciting about this is our very own Amy Hall is one of the plenary speakers. She is going to be talking about how to persevere through opposition. And you are not going to want to miss that. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some Some of you are saying Florida is a long ways from where I live. That may be true. I would highly recommend you go in person, but if you can't, that's okay because you can register to attend virtually. For all the information on the Women in Apologetics conference, you can go to womeninapologetics.com, see how to register for the virtual conference, see how to buy tickets for the live conference, get involved in what they're doing, and would love for you especially to see Amy's talk at that conference. It's going to be great. All right, that was the announcements for the day. A lot of announcements. Uh, now I want to get into talking about something that is really uh, important to me, and um, one of one of my favorite uh, apologetics arguments to talk about. So I love the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, I think it is it is everything. It is what everything in Christianity hinges on. Paul says, "If Christ hasn't risen from the dead, we're of all people most to be pitied." Right. Um, if I if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, I'm wasting every Sunday morning of my life by going to church and, and singing to a dead guy. Uh, if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, then all of my relatives who have died believing in Jesus uh, have perished. That's what Paul says. Um, if I am believing a delusion, if I am living a lie that there is this God who, who was risen from the dead, uh, then I have hope for only this life and not for the next, right? Uh, Paul even says we're still in our sins if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead. When was the last time I have sacrificed an animal at the temple in Jerusalem, right? I haven't. I can't. The temple's not there. So we've got big problems for our belief system if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead. Now there is a, a ton of great evidence on why we can know Jesus rose from the dead. But the one I want to look at specifically today is one that I feel is, is often overlooked and uh, is really important for us as Christians to get a hold of because I think that this could be convincing across the table over a cup of coffee with your friends who who haven't come to trust in Jesus as their savior. And so what what I'm referring to is Jesus' brother, I guess you would you would say it's his half brother, right? Uh, James. Jesus' brother James and the fact that he became a believer. So my question that I often ask students or our audiences when I'm speaking about this or my friends over a cup of coffee is how could you convince your sibling that you're God, think about it. What would you have to do? What is the type of evidence you would have to bring to convince your sibling to believe that you're God? Uh, it'd be very difficult. I, I don't know exactly what I would have to do. Well, I, I do know. It would it would never happen in my case. But But for some reason, it happened in Jesus' case. It happened with Jesus' brother James, his brother Jude, his sisters, his mom, his other brothers, they came to a place to believe this. Well, how, why? What, what happened to them? Well, when we look at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul uh, is reciting this ancient Christian creed that he received most likely from Peter and James and John. And he says in it that Jesus appeared To James. He lists off a whole bunch of people. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So when he mentions James, uh, this is not James, the son of Zebedee, right? James, the, the brother of John, because he's already been mentioned in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 15 as part of the 12. This James is a, a different James, right? The James mentioned in 1 Corinthians fifteen seven is Jesus' brother. The James who wrote the epistle of James that we know of. The James who became the head of the church in Jerusalem. The James who gives out the Jerusalem Council edict in Acts 15 about what of the Old Testament law Gentile New Testament believers needed to follow. That is the, the guy who's being talked about here. The claim is... Jesus appeared to his brother James. Now, what's fascinating about this is that prior to the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus' brother did not believe that that Jesus was really anything special. He was a complete skeptic when it came uh, to his brother. I want to read to you a couple of interesting passages. Mark three twenty uh, starts in saying, "And he came home." That's Jesus. And the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he has lost his senses, Jesus' own people. What does that mean? Well, When we read further down, we can find what it means. Uh, What happens next in in the story is this is when the the scribes uh, claim Jesus was possessed by Beelzebub, and Jesus says a house divided against itself can't stand. But if you drop down to Mark 3, verse 27, it says, But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sin shall be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Verse 31, then his mother and his brothers arrived and standing outside, they sent word and called to him. A crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, who are my mother and my brothers? So the the his family is uh the, his family his his own people who had thought he lost his senses are his mother and brothers they've come to take him away they've come to hey man you should you should be here and uh, uh we want to help you <laughs> something has has gone wrong mentally for you this is their perception of Jesus in Mark six uh one through four it talks about how Jesus went out and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him right. And uh, on the Sabbath, he begins teaching in the synagogue, and a lot of people are astonished, and they say, where did this guy get this teaching from? Like, we know uh, who he is, right? Isn't, isn't he the son of the carpenter? Isn't his, his brothers and sisters here among us? And then Jesus said this, Mark 6, verse 4, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his own relatives, and in his own household. So think about that. Hometown, extended family, immediate family. Jesus' perception was that his family did not honor him, did not follow him. We, we know that none of Jesus' brothers were his disciples. They didn't follow him around. They didn't listen to his teachings, right? But there's another passage that I think really shed some light on, on Jesus' brother's opinion of him. And this is John 7, 1-8. through 8. It says, after these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the feast of the Jews, the feast of Passover, was near. Therefore, his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world for not even his brothers were believing in him. So Jesus said to them, My time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast, because my time has not yet fully come. In this passage, Jesus' brothers are taunting him, did you catch that? It says that, that the, the leaders in Judea were looking to kill Jesus, which is a great reason why he's not there, right? He's in Galilee. He doesn't want to go where there's a hit on his head. But his brothers come and they say, hey, big shot, why don't you go? Why don't you go over there? Why are you doing everything in secret? If you want to be famous, if you want to be known, why don't you go show everybody how awesome you are? For not even his brothers were believing in him. So, this is the case that that we find prior to the resurrection of Jesus. And then, after the resurrection of Jesus, they completely change. They become followers of him. They're found praying to their brother as to God with the disciples of Jesus. What has happened to these people that convinced them that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was God? It's a very interesting question. Why would you regard your brother to be God, to be deity? Well, one of the things that we see is that Jesus appeared to James. He appears to his brother. Now, I've thought about this a lot. And this is something that, um, that I think is good for us to pose to our, our skeptical friends about resurrection. Uh, if your deceased family member rose from the dead, would you believe that they were God? And I think that the answer to that has to be no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't, right? Why? Why wouldn't I regard them to be God if they rose from the dead? Is that what the New Testament is saying happened to James and to his brothers and to his sisters in regards to Jesus? Well, I don't think that is actually uh, the whole story. I don't think that is the only reason that they were compelled to believe that Jesus was God. I find it interesting, too, that uh, when Jesus is dying on the cross, his brothers aren't there. Right, they they don't they don't care about him. They they don't they're skeptical of him. We know Jesus' mom is there, but Jesus does something really interesting at his death uh, in John 19. He sees his mom standing there, and then he sees John the apostle standing there, right, his disciple, and he leaves his mom in the care of John. He doesn't leave his mom in the care of his brothers. James would be the next oldest. He doesn't leave his mom to them. That would be the, the correct order. Instead, he sanctions one of his believing disciples to be the person taking care of his mom going forward. So even, even that point in John shows that Jesus knew his brothers weren't believers and he wanted his mom to be taken care of by somebody who, who was a Christian, somebody who had trusted in Jesus. Now, he does rise from the dead, and he appears to James. I think he appears to his other siblings as well, although we don't have any texts that say that. But there's another important component to this that we don't have— uh, that we haven't talked about yet that I think is is kind of a linchpin for convincing James that his brother was God. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about what that important factor is, which I think is a really great apologetic argument to use with our friends to, to provoke them to think, to put a stone in their shoe, about Jesus possibly being resurrected from the dead and the God that he claimed to be. So we'll be right back to talk about that.
1: Friends, if you like this broadcast, I know you'll love Hashtag STR Ask. It's our shorter 20-minute podcast where I am paired with the wonderful Amy Hall, and together we answer the questions you send us on Twitter. Hashtag STR is released twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and it's only about 20 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to on your morning jog or while driving around running errands or cleaning your garage or just plain loafing at home. Amy and I tackle your questions on theology and ethics and culture and lots more, offering our insight on the questions you're asking or the challenges you face. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your own shows. Just remember, send us your questions on Twitter using the name of the podcast, hashtag STRask. That's hashtag STRask. When you choose to support Stand to Reason with a monthly gift of $10 or more, you become a strategic partner in the work of equipping Christian ambassadors. Your monthly commitment makes you a part of a special group, helping STR train Christians to confidently and graciously defend their convictions. Your monthly gift helps us plan and manage STR's resources and provides consistent support to aid our ongoing work. As our thanks for your partnership, we have created some benefits to express our gratitude like a 10% discount in our online store, access to a private Facebook group, and more. To become a strategic partner, visit str.org donate. Click how often will you donate and choose monthly. For personal assistance, you can email Ocean Wilson at ocean
0: All right, welcome back to the show. This is Stand to Reason, and I'm your host for this week, Robbie Lashua. And we've been talking about Jesus' brother James, and what could convince him that his sibling, that his brother Jesus, was actually God. Now, I think the resurrection and the appearance of your dead brother would be some type of compelling evidence to make you think, hmm, Something's up with this guy. Uh, Dead people don't generally come back to life. But I don't think merely a resurrection appearance would convince James his brother was God. Um, So we know from the scriptures, like we talked about before the break, that, that James was skeptical of his brother prior to the resurrection. And then when we read in Acts, we find that he becomes a disciple, the head of the church of Jerusalem, and eventually... He dies as a martyr. There are actually a few non biblical sources that mention, uh, James and, uh, and his death. Uh, Eusebius uh, quotes Josephus. Uh, he quotes Clement of Alexandria and he quotes Hegesippus as mentioning Jesus' brother James' martyrdom. So basically what happened was um, James was the head of the church and the the, the um, Jewish authorities in Jerusalem came to him and said, hey, we want you to help us stop this heresy about your brother being God, about this Jesus character. So can you get up on the Temple Mount and just tell everybody that it's all fake? And he says, okay. And he gets up and he basically says, it's all true. <laughs> My brother was the, was God, was the Messiah. Like, you need to believe in him. And, and the Jewish authorities get so mad at him, they shove him off the temple, right? So he falls down from the temple mount. And, uh, what, what the histories say, you know, and this isn't scripture. So, you know, is there folklore involved? Possibly. But what they claim is that he landed on his knees. And his uh, knees were so calloused from kneeling in prayer that it actually uh, saved his life from the fall and that he landed. And then uh, people came up and started stoning him. And then a fuller hit him in the head with a, the back of the head with a club. And that's uh, how he died. Uh, in the last hour, we actually were talking about the ossuary box, the bone box of James the son of Joseph, the brother of Jesus that was found in Jerusalem. So go back and check that out with uh, Titus Kennedy. But James dies for the belief that his brother is in fact the Messiah, um, the son of God um, and deity. What changed in his life from being a skeptical who tells his brother, go into Judea so people can kill you, to becoming the head of the church and then dying for this belief? Well, the resurrection's one of the components, but there is another component that I think is is important for us to to think about and to mention. So if my brother died and came back to life, I wouldn't believe he was God. Why? Well, because I grew up with him, and I know that he did a lot of sinning. In fact, I had a front row seat to all the bad things that he did. I actually helped him sin. I actually helped him in lying to our parents. We would cover for each other. And and this is the type of thing that brothers do, that siblings do. Hey, I'm going to sneak out. Don't tell mom. Cover for me. I'm going to be late. This and that. We are privy to the depravity of our siblings unlike anybody else is, including our parents. So James... Is the, the oldest son of Mary and Joseph, right? He is the second, um, the, the second born of Mary, but he's the first born of Joseph. He is the closest in age to Jesus. Now, can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your sibling, right? Uh, Paul talks about, uh, Christ's perfection, uh, his righteousness. Um, we know that Jesus was sinless. If my older brother, was sinless. That would be a really, really tough upbringing. Think about it. Your mom would always be saying, why can't you be more like Jesus? And she'd be right. She would be right. Also, this guy would never cover for you. He would never help you out and say, hey, man, I want to sneak out tonight and go see this girl. I'm going to take her out on the Sea of Galilee. He'd say, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to lie about that to mom. Come on, Jesus. Just, just let me. No, I, I, I can't, right? Y- you would grow up with a, a, a sizable amount of disdain and contempt for your goody-two-shoes older brother. And that's, in fact, what we see his brother's opinion of him is. They don't like him. They don't believe he's important. They don't believe who he says he is. There's a distance between them and him prior to the resurrection. But then after the resurrection, they believe in him. Why? I think it's because they grew up knowing that he was sinless. They had a front row seat to him doing bad things, and they couldn't have seen him sin because if they would have, they never would have believed he was God. Good Jewish boys growing up, they know what the Old Testament says God is like. He is holy, 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 right? Jesus' brother James literally writes that in God there is no shifting shadow, right? He is light, right? That's what he he knew the type of person that God was. So, so in order for him to believe that his brother was God, he would also have to know that his brother was sinless. Sinlessness alone would make you hate your goody-two-shoes brother. Resurrection alone would be an anomaly and it'd be interesting but what we see, resurrections happen in the New Testament and, and people not believe that the resurrected person is God, right? Lazarus comes back from the dead. Mary and Martha do not believe that he's God. Jairus's daughter comes back from the dead. He doesn't believe she's God. The widow's son comes back from the dead, doesn't believe he's God. Resurrection alone is not enough to convince some people that you're God. But if people grew up with you and saw that you were sinless and then saw that you risen from the dead, those two factors together would compel them to think something significant was going on, something was special about their older brother. And I think that's what we see when it comes to James. It's also really interesting to think about James becoming the head of the church in Jerusalem, right? This often doesn't get talked about, but why does he become the head of the church? You would think that Peter or Paul or John, you know, one of these longtime disciples, one of these apostles would become the head of the church in Jerusalem. But that's not what happened. It's Jesus' brother who wasn't a disciple. Why did he become the head? I don't know if we can know with certainty. I don't think we can say for sure why, but there's some speculation out there that the reason for it was because he would be next in line to the throne of Jerusalem. If Jesus is the King Messiah, in his absence, who becomes the next in line? It would be his next older brother. I think that's an interesting uh, idea. I, I can't say we know with certainty that it's true. But we do know James died for the belief that his brother was the Messiah He led the church in Jerusalem that was under heavy persecution because he believed that his brother was the Messiah. And I think two factors convinced him of this. One, the resurrection of his brother. But two, he had a front row to see that his brother was, in fact, sinless, the holy, holy, holy God of Scripture, in whom there is no shifting shadow. And those two things together compelled him, convinced him, persuaded him, to believe that his brother was God, I think this is a powerful argument for us to use. I, I would encourage you uh, ask that question to your friends. What could convince you that your sibling is God? What would they have to do? And let people think about it. Let them chew on it. Let them contemplate that a little bit. <laughs> and and I think this is a really interesting apologetic argument. We've seen religious leaders convince their followers that they're something special. We've seen religious leaders convince their followers to commit suicide based on their teachings, right? So convincing your followers that you're something special, we've got examples of that. Convincing your family that you're God, that's a whole nother level. That's a whole different ballgame. And I think that this is something that we should utilize more in our conversations about the resurrection, about this. Hey, the lines are open here at Standard Reason. The number is 855-243-9975. If you got a question that you would like me to answer, uh, I'd love to talk with you. You can call in 855-243-9975. Uh, I saw an article this week that I thought would be interesting to talk about. So, I love coffee. Uh, and it's because I'm an American and we like coffee, right? Uh so many people here at Standard Reason love good coffee. And so this, this, um, this uh, article kind of caught my attention, and it was a little bit disheartening. Um, so this article comes uh, from Amelia Lucas. This is from May 16th uh, of this year, and it was on MSNBC. And the title of the article is Starbucks to Cover Employees' Travel Expenses for Abortions and Gender-Affirming Surgeries. I don't know if you've seen this yet, but I just want to read this short article to you. It says this. Starbucks said Monday it will start covering eligible travel expenses for employees seeking abortions or gender-affirming procedures. The coffee chain joins Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and Salesforce in offering to reimburse workers for travel costs related to abortions following the leak of the draft U.S. Supreme Court ruling that would strike down Roe v. Wade, the landmark 1973 decision that ensured the right to undergo the procedure. Other large companies like Walmart and Disney have overwhelmingly chosen to stay silent on the draft opinion. Starbucks has a reputation for championing liberal causes like vocally supporting same-sex marriage and hiring refugees. That also extends to transgender rights. Its health insurance has covered gender reassignment surgery since 2012 and a wider array of gender-affirming procedures like hair transplants or breast reductions since 2018. As of mid-March, 154 anti-trans bills have been introduced in state legislators seeking to limit access to health care, sports, bathrooms, and education, according to NBC News. Employees enrolled in Starbucks insurance plan and seeking access to abortion or gender-affirming procedures will be eligible for reimbursement of travel costs if those services aren't available within 100 miles of their home. The benefit will also extend to any dependents enrolled in Starbucks health care. A representative for Starbucks said the company is still working on additional details, such as when the benefit kicks in. The company has 240,000 U.S. employees. This was disheartening to me um, because I like Starbucks coffee. Um, It's it's good, but, but their ideology to reinforce and pay for travel expenses to other states if the Supreme Court ruling uh, goes through. It's just extremely sad to me. I also thought about the the, the gender affirming surgery, right? What used to be called uh, sex change surgeries that, that they are insuring not only for employees, but also for uh, dependents of employees. And this was an interesting thing, a uh, thought that I had in regard to this is w- what if a transgender woman, which would be a man who now wants to be a woman, to transition to be a woman, what if a transgender woman wants Starbucks to pay for the travel expenses for them to go and have an abortion? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but that's a man, they can't get. Pregnant, right? But Starbucks is already reinforcing this narrative of, of uh, the transgender ideology. And I wonder at what point they will say we can't spend money on things that aren't true, we can't spend money on things that are, are fantasy. It's an interesting uh, an interesting thought. I don't know if you've seen the the new emojis that are out there of pregnant men um, but but this ideology that you can do and be anything you want to is not only affirmed but it's also being backed up with insurance money by major corporations in our country and I think what what this should make us do is is reflect and and take pause and see how powerful lies can be in culture. I used to think that, well, when it comes down to the bottom line, you know, people, people won't go along with these with these crazy notions. I was wrong. People can be swept up into uh, lies and untruth, into these cultural waves that come upon us, so much so to the point that they're spending money to reinforce a fantasy. This is what what Corinthians talks about, right? We, what we are doing, we are our, our weapons of warfare are not physical, right? We're not fighting in flesh and blood. What are we doing? We're destroying fortresses and strongholds. We are we are tearing down speculations raised up against the knowledge of God. False ideologies like the the head honchos at Starbucks are believing. We as Christians need to be prepared to step in and help people see what's actually real because lies are powerful and they're devastating to cultures. Again, uh, tomorrow, John Noyce is going to be on at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time talking about how we can bring truth into the abortion debate. And I I highly recommend that you you get educated on this and hear what he has to say tomorrow because you are going to be confronted with this in the near future. And as good ambassadors for Christ, we have to be prepared to step up and to stand up and to speak out in grace, with good character and in love, but speak out nonetheless on these issues because lies are dragging people down. Now we have corporations reinforcing these fantasies with money which reinforces the idea that this is real and good and what we should be seeking after and is devastating a generation of people literally murdering a generation of people but also harming the people who who believe that abortion is going to be something that helps them out it doesn't it, it's it's a sad sad um reality and and trauma follows when people uh, abort their children and so we gotta be prepared to talk about it. Stand to Reason has a ton of resources on abortion and, and and pro-life apologetics. Recommend you check those out on str.org. But also tune in tomorrow to hear John Noyce speak about that as well. Hey, we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna come back and talk about everyone's favorite topic, suffering. See you in a second.
2: As a high school teacher, I always had a red pen close at hand. When I wasn't in front of my students teaching a lesson, you could find me assessing assignments, grading essays, and evaluating exams. The red pen played a crucial role in the educational development of my students. With it, I questioned their assumptions, exposed their errors, and challenged them to think critically. You see, a good teacher doesn't merely tell his students that they're wrong. A good teacher shows his students why they're wrong so they don't make the same mistakes twice. He corrects because he cares. Last year, I was scrolling through social media, and frankly, I was discouraged at all the bad thinking that undergirded much of what I was reading. Then it hit me. What if someone applied the red pen to this flawed thinking? And Red Pen Logic with Mr. B was born. In the last few months, Red Pen Logic has grown in popularity. Through our engaging and shareable educational graphics and videos, we are helping people, especially young people, assess bad thinking by using good thinking, and we have a lot of fun in the process. So here's your homework assignment. Like the Red Pen Logic Facebook page so you don't miss our next graphic, and subscribe at the Red Pen Logic YouTube channel so you don't miss a single video. Class dismissed. Do you want to become a more knowledgeable Christian ambassador without sitting through a formal course on apologetics? Well, we've made that possible for you through our STR Quick Reference app. Available for free on iTunes and Google Play, the STR Quick Reference app holds a wealth of information summarizing what you need to know on a range of topics. Learn how to defend the faith, see how other worldviews compare to Christianity, and master the biblical view of morality all through short, engaging videos. Before you know it, you'll be well-versed on a number of important apologetics topics. In addition, the Quick Reference app also includes a Bible with text and audio, as well as some featured STR resources, all to enhance your learning experience. The STR Quick Reference app will equip you to engage in thoughtful conversation about the key issues of life from a classical Christian perspective. Visit iTunes or the Google Play Store today and download the STR Quick Reference app. And if you enjoy the app, make sure you give it a five-star review. You can take Stand to Reason with you through our mobile apps, available for free from the App Store or the Google Play Store. The Quick Reference app gives you short, easily accessible courses on our most popular topics like tactics, homosexuality in the Bible, morality, the story of reality, and many more. The Stand to Reason app has all our latest content available at your fingertips. You can listen to our podcasts, check the blog, and access timely and practical resources. They're free, so download the apps today on the App Store or the Google Play Store and start carrying Stand to Reason with you everywhere you go. If you enjoy our apps, you can help other people find them by rating them on the App Store or the Google Play Store. (music)
0: Welcome back to Stand to Reason. I'm your host this week, Robbie Lashua. And hey, I was just talking with Amy Hall, and she told me about a really cool feature that we've got now up on str.org. Uh, if you go to str.org and you want to uh, submit a question for Greg and for the for the broadcast, uh, you don't have to call in on a Tuesday when he's here. You actually can go on there, click on podcast. Scroll down to live broadcast and we actually have a button where you can record your question and then Greg can play it on the air. So maybe you're at work during the time we record on Tuesday afternoons uh, or you're busy, you're picking up kids from school, something, but you have a question you're dying to ask. This is the way to do it. Go to str.org, click on podcast, scroll down to live broadcast, and then you can ask Greg a question and record it. And he'll play it live on the air. So there is that something new that you can uh, go ahead and do. So hey, as we end up end the show today, I wanted to end talking about something I've been thinking a lot about lately for the for the last month, and it's uh, suffering and miracles. Suffering and miracles. Um, there is a lot. Going on within Christian culture about seeing miracles and looking for miracles, and there's honestly some outrageous claims about miracles that uh, are in certain churches in in our country. And um, it got me thinking as to wh- what is the purpose of miracles, and and what does the normal Christian life look like? What does it mean to to grow in the Lord? What what is the normal way God wants to sanctify His people? And I started to think about it. And it seems to me that the way God grows us isn't necessarily through the overt miraculous in our everyday life, but instead it's through suffering. Uh, Jesus himself, when when he was asked for a sign, right, what did he say? He said, "A, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign and none will be given to it except for the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the sea monster for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the earth for three days and three nights, right? Jesus says that the sign for all time is the resurrection. Like, that's, that's what we've got to look to. That's the one, right? That's the ultimate stamp of approval on the ministry of Jesus. Um, and yet, uh, a lot of us— uh, myself included, want to see the miraculous in our everyday life, right? We want to see these suspensions of the natural order uh, to encourage us, right? To, to encourage our faith. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I'm not a cessationist. I believe that God can and does do the miraculous today. But the question I've been thinking about is should I be seeking to see miracles as part of the normal Christian life. And I don't know. I don't know. I think that what God's plan is for us is suffering. And, and it, it sounds a little morbid, I, it, but it's all over Scripture, right? The, the ways I've grown most in my life haven't come through good happening to me or answered prayer. It's come through the hard times. It's come through the silence from God. It's come through the waiting that my trust in him has, has grown, that my faith has matured. And this seems to be uh, the pattern that we see in, in other Christians of the past. Um, Peter mentions this in First Peter 1, 6-7. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, he says there's a purpose to the various trials that go on because it tests the genuineness of our faith, which is more important than riches. Paul, he talks about this as well, Romans eight eighteen, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us, right? We will suffer now, but what's to come in the future far outweighs the hardships we go through here. Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 8-10, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, suffering strengthens us, pushes us to rely on God in new ways. And this idea of seeking out the miraculous, right? We're instructed to pray for people who are sick, right? To take them before the elders, to cast all of our cares on the Lord because he cares for us, To, to be thankful and content, with the life he's given us. So there's nothing wrong with with asking God for healings and and for help and for uh, friends and family to come to know the Lord and and for everyday needs. Nothing wrong with that. We're instructed to pray for those things. But this idea of we should be seeing as many miracles as the book of Acts shows the early disciples saw, I don't know if that's true. And if it was, what would it do? What would the purpose be? see, as I read scripture, it seems that the purpose of miracles is primarily to validate the message of God. If if you were God, how would you get people's attention? What's the type of thing that you would do to draw attention to what you want to communicate? Well, it would have to be something miraculous. It would have to be something extremely out of the ordinary that would wake people up to say, Hey, I need to pay attention to this. Miracles are used to validate God's messengers and his message. And we see this happen um, in, in Moses' life, in Elijah's life, in Jesus' life. The, those three characters in Scripture, those three people from the past, it seems that miracles really cluster a lot around their three ministries. Now, sometimes we see miracles outside of them, but, but those are kind of the three primary places we see miracles occurring uh, throughout Scripture and it's it's those three people those three men who who were extremely important messengers for god now god validated christ's message ultimately through the resurrection right he predicted he would rise from the dead and then he did rise from the dead and he said this is the sign this is the sign for all generations the sign of jonah that validates my message as being true and so if the purpose of miracles is to validate God's message, to draw attention to God's messengers so we can know what is from God, not just blindly trust, but have some type of evidence for it. If that is the purpose, then I, I've thought about, well, as a Christian, I have believed in the message of Jesus. I have trusted in the resurrection. It's, it's drawn my attention, and I have accepted it to be true. So if the point is to draw attention to the message, my attention's been drawn, now, how does God primarily disciple and grow people who've already trusted in the message of Jesus? That, that's the next question. And I think it's through suffering, not through the miraculous. Um, James, Jesus' brother, talks about this, right? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you go through various suffering and trials because you know it's purifying your faith suffering needs to be embraced. And, and this is a danger that I'm seeing in, um, in certain circles of evangelical Christianity, is that we get so focused on praying for the miracle, wanting the miracle, believing for a miracle. And if that healing happens, if that miracle occurs, what it's doing is it's alleviating suffering. And that's what that's what we pray for. We're praying for the alleviation of a hardship. But maybe it's the hardship that God is going to use to grow us, to mature us, to purify us, and not the release from it. Greg always says on this show, you know, that that uh, the psalmist didn't say I get a helicopter ride over the valley of the shadow of death, right? But as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me, right? He's with us through the hardships, and he doesn't always alleviate it. And so I've thought about expecting or wanting alleviation all the time maybe would stunt my growth as a Christian. And, And I don't want to ask for suffering. I don't want to pray, Lord, bring more suffering into my life. But it's an interesting thing of what's God's primary way of growing us. And the other thing I, I thought about is, you know, I, I'm, I'm 38 years old right now. And maybe I have, you know, if I had 60 more years left in this side of eternity, like that'd be great, right? To be 98, wow. But 60 years is not long. And there's things I need to learn. And there's maturity that I, I, I desire to, to grow in my relationship with Jesus. And there's things that come through living in a broken and fallen world that can mature and grow me that won't be possible when everything is fixed and my sin nature is gone and the world isn't evil and heavens on earth, right? In eternity, there will be things that I can't experientially learn that I can now. And I don't want to squander that. I want to embrace the suffering in a sense, um, not in a morbid way not in a defeatist way because we know that Christ has defeated death and the grave and we have complete victory coming But for the here and now, what is God's primary way to mature Christians? I think it's through letting us slowly decay, die, suffer, um, see everybody else around us dying and suffering. And I know this sounds morbid, but what he is doing is he is helping us to not be in love with this current world and to long for our true home a better home, an incorruptible city, Scripture says, one that won't decay and won't won't slow down and won't have sore muscles that when I was 18 I never felt, right? That won't have taste going away, that won't have uh, a decrepit body trying to, to live in the glory days. We will have ultimate restoration, but for now we don't. And God uses that in order to grow our dependence on him, our trust in him, our love for him, and our longing for eternity. One of the things I've been trying to instill in my kids is how anticipation actually makes special events sweeter. It makes them better. Uh, Recently, we went to an amusement park, and and one of the things I did to try to do this is we made one of those old school, kind of lame elementary, you know, chain link construction paper Uh, chains, one one, one link of construction paper for every day before we get to go to the trip. And my my sole purpose in this was to help them anticipate this really fun family vacation. And every day they would come down, okay, who gets to tear this paper, right? Whose color is it? I get to tear it off and then we count, oh, only 50 more days until we go, only 20 more days until we, and it built anticipation and excitement, which was which was half of the fun of the trip. One of the things I think God graciously does for us is he builds our anticipation of our eternal home as we slowly decay and lose our love for this current world. He's making us long for true home, and I think it makes it so much sweeter when we get there. I think it makes it so much long-anticipated. At long last, I've come to be where I was always made to be. This is the type of God uh, that we have. A God who knows that there is joy in the anticipation, and suffering is a part of that. And so, I, 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 I've, I've been praying a little differently. I don't—I don't always pray for Him to alleviate my suffering. Right? I don't pray for. The miraculous in every single situation. I want to learn what he has for me to learn through whatever situations he deems I can go through. We, we have a God who says that he will he will give us a, a way to, to, to hold up under certain trials. He is there with us through the valley, and we don't have to go it alone, and we don't have to think we've just got to grit our teeth and bear it. But we can find strength and we can find rest and we can find encouragement as we abide in our Savior, the true vine, who can empower us to suffer well. And so I guess that's my encouragement as we close this segment of the show is to suffer well. Uh, You all are going to suffer. There's no doubt about that. Every human being is going to suffer. But the question is, as believers, are we suffering well to grow in our relationship with God? There's been times I've gone through extreme suffering. And in my prayers to the Lord, I I'd thank him for getting me through. And there was this one specific time, and not an audible voice or anything, but I had this impression of, well, you made it through, but you didn't do it well. You didn't do it through- well. Everyone makes it through suffering because time passes. We don't have another choice. But am I going to suffer well? Am I going to maximize the purpose Behind the hard that God is allowing into my life to grow in my relationship with my father anticipating who I will be in the future with him and I'd encourage you to think through that to do that, to pray and ask God to to help teach you through hardship what he wants you to learn not as if it's something strange happening to you but knowing that there's purpose in the hardships so well hey, that that about wraps it up for us today here at Stand to Reason. It's been really great uh, talking with you about Jesus, brother James, and and the resurrection. Uh, the first hour, again, if you haven't. Uh, listened to that, go back in the podcast, check out my interview with Titus Kennedy. I know that your heart will be encouraged by uh, the things we talked about in regards to archaeology, the people surrounding the trial of Jesus, the tomb of Christ, the Nazareth inscription, all of those nuggets that, that Titus was able to share with us about the archaeological accounts of, of biblical events. Also, just want to remind you, uh, that the reality student apologetics conferences are coming out. Go check out uh, the the website, realityapologetics.com. Because that is where uh, you can see all the speakers and the topics and get info on ticket sales and uh, what locations we're going to be at. And also, again, if you haven't checked out Standard Reason University, please go and do that. We have got about 10 courses up right now that you can go through. And I know it will be a wonderful time of learning and it will be enriching to you as you prepare to be a good ambassador for Christ in your uh, neighborhoods, with your family and friends, and in your churches. So go check out S you can do that on training.str.org sign up register completely free and uh, take advantage of these great resources that we have for you well hey thanks so much for tuning in today Um, I am Robbie Lashua with Stand to Reason it has been great being with you Greg will be back next week for another episode but thanks so much for being here and go out there and be a good ambassador for Christ this week